Let's pray. Our Lord, the danger of a reading that is so familiar is that we may treat it as if it is ordinary. Lord, help us not do that now. Show us how incredible these words are. Help us marvel at the realities that we've just read. Lord, you spoke and everything came into existence. Existence itself obeyed your voice. So now as we hear you speaking to us through your word, help us to be obedient to your voice. Amen. In 2011, John Lennox, that's that guy, he's a Northern Irish mathematician, a Christian apologist. Uh, He wrote a book called Seven Days That Divide the World. And in it, he attempts to reconcile scientific knowledge, scientific understanding of the world and scripture, wanting to hold them both up as sources of truth. The name says it all, doesn't it? Uh, These are issues that have divided the world. And sadly, it's actually an issue that has divided the church. And so within this room, I am convinced that there will be people who land on different conclusions about how we are to understand Genesis 1 and 2. There will be those of you that firmly believe that Genesis 1 speaks of God creating in six 24-hour days. There will be some of you that think Genesis 1 teaches that God created in day ages, over many, a much longer period of time. There will be those of you that believe that the earth is 10,000 years old. There will be those of you that believe that the earth is 4.5 billion years old. There will be those of you that don't know, and there will also be people here who just don't care. And that's okay. Because from the outset this morning, I want to say that I don't believe... Your salvation is at stake when it comes to how old the earth is or in exactly how long it took God to make it. And so I want to encourage us, firstly, to be humble with these discussions. Remember that there are brilliant people who disagree with you. There are brilliant people on every side of this debate. People who have thought long and hard. People who love God and want to honour his word have come to different conclusions. And so I encourage you to be humble. We mustn't let these be the seven days that divide the church. Because the stakes are far too high for that. We have a mission to proclaim the good news of Jesus to our world. We can't let an issue like this detract from our witness in the world. And so this morning, uh, I'm not actually going to go into that discussion. I'm not going to tell you how long it took God to create the world. I'm not going to say how old the earth is. It's not that I don't think that's an unimportant discussion to have. But it's not the most important discussion to have. 
And so I'm happy to talk more with you about these issues if you'd like to. I think they're really interesting. I think they're important. But I think there's something that's more important. Ultimately, what matters most when it comes to understanding the beginning of all things is not the when or the how, but the who and the why. And so it's the who and the why that I want us to focus our attention on. If we read Genesis 1 and only want to think about how long it took God or how old the earth is, we have missed something really significant because Genesis 1 is a story about God. It begins, in the beginning, God. And then in the next 34 verses... God is mentioned 31 times. This is a story about God. It's a story that might lead us to ask all sorts of other questions, and we can come to those. But fundamentally, it's a story intended to show us something about God, to show us what God is like. I read before, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sun, the moon, the stars, the mountains, the valleys, the rivers, the oceans, the newborn baby and the 99-year-old. And isn't it amazing that we have both in this church now? I'm really excited by that. But all of those things are there to show us what God is like. And so this morning, I want to invite you to consider with me the God who creates these words might be really familiar. You might, they might be so familiar you even find them a little bit boring. But this morning, I want you to marvel at this God. I want you to marvel at six things Genesis 1 teaches us about God that really matter. You'll find them on the back of your outline. But the first thing we see... In Genesis 1, the first thing about God that really matters, more than the age of the earth, more than how many days it took, is that God is. You read the first verse of the entire Bible, and it's really easy to skip over this startling reality that's revealed there in the first four words, that in the beginning, God. God was already there. There was a point when time and space began, but that was not when God began. He already was. He's pre-existent. He has no beginning. He has no end. And that automatically puts him in an entirely different category to everything else that we know. And that has huge implications for how we relate to him, doesn't it? He's not part of this creation. I have a Hindu friend who believes that God is the creation. And so when she goes and spends time walking in the bush, she's with God. That's how she experiences God. No, God is not in the creation. We don't find God by looking deep into our own hearts. I have another friend who believes that, actually, it's the lady that cuts my hair. She tells me that you look inside yourself. That's when you'll see God. No, no, no. God's not in creation. He's not in our hearts. 
And he's not just someone that we can relate to like we relate to our next door neighbor. God is not like us. He's not created. He's not bound by time or space. Which means it is utterly remarkable that while not a part of this creation, God made himself a part of this creation by stepping down into it as the Lord Jesus. That is a huge thing. God is eternal. He's completely outside of this creation, but he made himself a part of it. It's utterly remarkable that while God is not found by looking into our hearts, God chose to dwell in our hearts by his Holy Spirit. That's incredible. It's utterly remarkable that while God is eternal, unlike us, not someone we can relate to like our next door neighbor across the fence, it's utterly remarkable that God allows us to relate to him. That he invites us into relationship with him. Everything that you know and love about God is magnified when you remember that he is the infinite, eternal God. That's the first thing we learn about God that really matters. We're only four words in. God is eternal. The second thing is that God creates. And you're thinking, oh, duh, (laughs) says that the whole thing is about that. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, this is the eternal God, the one who exists outside of time and space. He creates time and space. And he creates the earth, the place where we are. He creates the heavens, everything else. And which means that everything that is is because he put it there. Everything. Every star in every galaxy, even the ones we don't know about yet, exists purely and only because God created it. Every atom, every subatomic particle, even the ones we know exist but can't observe, They're there because God put them there. Now, it's mind-boggling to think that absolutely everything that we see and don't see flows directly out of the mind of God. It's there because he created it. Now, our, our minds are constantly searching for the cause of things. We always want to know why things are. We're captivated by the desire to know the cause. It's the reason that kids want to know where babies come from. They have this thing in front of them. How did it get here? It wasn't here before. Now it is here. Where does it come from? It's the reason the World Health Organization wants to know where COVID comes from. And it's the reason that right now, in a 27-kilometre underground tunnel outside Geneva in Switzerland... There are boffins in white coats spending billions of dollars crashing subatomic particles into each other to try to answer the question of where the universe comes from. And while the pursuit of knowledge 
An understanding of God's creation is a wonderful thing. It's a good thing for us to do. The sad reality is that for so many scientists and non-scientists in our world, they refuse to see the plain teaching of Scripture and of nature. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I've got a quote from G.K. Chesterton. He says this. He says, It's absurd. It's absurd for the evolutionist to complain that it is unthinkable for God to make everything out of nothing and then pretend that it is more thinkable that nothing should turn itself into everything. Our world has a problem with the idea of a God who creates, but to believe that God didn't create or that there isn't a God who created is absurd. It makes no sense. The universe didn't just happen. It's not an accident. It's here because God created it. It's here because he spoke it into existence. I don't know if you've considered how remarkable that is. When God speaks, existence itself obeys him. He says, let there be light, and and light wouldn't dare not appear. When you and I say things, that's not how we speak, is it? When you and I, all we can do is describe reality. I can tell you that it's sunny today. I don't make it sunny by saying that. I'm just telling you what's already there. When God says it's sunny today, he makes it sunny today. If God were to say the sky is green, it would be green. His words define reality. Now, why am I telling you this? Well, it's fascinating. But more than that, the God who spoke the universe into existence with words also speaks to you with words. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed. That same breath that brought galaxies into existence with its reality-defining voice also has something to say to you. Do you see the authority that God's words have? Existence itself obeys him. Are you listening to him? How easy it is to brush off God's word like we brush off the telemarketer on the phone. To treat his voice as just another opinion in a sea of opinions. But friends, if the first time God spoke, he brought light into existence then when he tells you what is good, you better believe that it is good. And when he tells you what to do, who are you to disobey him? And when he makes you a promise, you can stake your life on that promise. And when he tells you that you belong to him, well, friends, nothing else in all of creation should make you doubt that for a second. God is eternal. God creates. The third thing that Genesis teaches us about God that really matters is that God is ordered. 
which sounds boring. But what I mean is that the universe isn't just something God slapped together without thinking about. It's ordered, it's structured, it's logical. The story of Genesis 1 makes it crystal clear, doesn't it? You see how rhythmic and repetitive it is. And God said, let there be. And there was. It was good. Evening, morning, the next day. And God said, let there be. And just keeps going. It's this rhythmic pattern showing us a structure, an order. The structure of the writing shows us that God is... uh, Sorry... The structure shows us that God is ordered, that he's functional, that he's methodical. But so does the content of what Genesis 1 says. I don't know if you noticed it, but what was the earth like when God created it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth, verse 2, was formless and empty. Formless and empty. Also, what does God do? He spends the first three creation days forming this world. And then he spends the next three creation days filling what was empty. The first three days, he separates light from darkness. He separates the sky from water. And then he separates the land from the seas. In those first three days, God gives creation its basic shape. He forms it. And then, in the next three days, he fills it. On day four, he creates the sun, the moon and the stars to fill the basic shape of light and dark, which he created on day one. On day five, he fills the sky and sea that he created on day two with birds and sea creatures. On day six, he fills the land that he created on day three with animals and ultimately humans. Do you see this this beautiful structure, this orderliness to God's creation? It's logical and it works. Now, as someone who used to be an engineer, this warms my heart. God is an engineer. Do you see it? He made a wonderfully functional universe. It's amazing that God made this earth at just the right distance from the sun so that we would have liquid water, which is essential for life. And that our planet would orbit that source of light and heat every 365.25 days without fail. And the earth itself would rotate every 24 hours to give us a break from that light and heat so that we could know times and that we could have sleep. And isn't it incredible that God designed plants to produce the very waste products that we produce so that they would give us oxygen and take our carbon dioxide? Isn't this functional world just beautiful in that regard? The fact that the sun rose this morning just like it did yesterday and the fact that when you drop something it falls to the ground every time 
And the fact that you boiled your cup of tea this morning and it boiled at 100 degrees just like it does every other day, all of that points to a God who is orderly, who is structured, who creates a consistent world. And why this really matters is that it's not just that our world is consistent, but that he is consistent. That we can relate to him and know that he's not just suddenly going to change his will for the world. His plans for the world are set in stone. It's good that God is orderly. God's an engineer. He created this wonderfully functional world. But you should never let an engineer design your house. When an engineer designs your house, it will work. It will stand up. Man, it'll be boring. It'll be the ugliest thing you've ever seen. So what you need when you're designing a house is an architect. You need someone with some creativity, with some flair, who knows what looks good. The engineer-designed house is just some steel beams and some concrete. The architect makes it beautiful. Genesis 1 shows us that God is both the engineer and the architect. He creates an ordered and an organised world... And he makes it beautiful. And you see this really clearly in verse 14. God says, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. So do you see, he creates the sun and the moon and they're functional. This is the engineer speaking. He, he, he creates the, the earth and he knows that its inhabitants will need a, no, a way of knowing the time. And so he gives them a sun and a moon to give light and to separate, to govern times and days and years. Pure function. But then in verse 16, verse 16 ends with the most understated sentence in the whole of Genesis. He also made the stars. He also made the estimated 100 billion gigantic gas infernos in the Milky Way galaxy and all the other stars in the other billions of galaxies that we know about. He creates a sun and moon as this kind of functional thing to help us with life and then he's like, I'll just create another trillion stars. Well, why? It's not about function, is it? I mean, I mean, we use the stars to navigate, but surely there was an easier way for him to do that than creating trillions of enormous stars. And this is just one example of countless other ways that God is an extravagant God, a creative God, a God who creates a beautiful universe. He didn't need to do that, did he? But he did. And the reason that he did is because the fifth important thing that Genesis 1 teaches us about God is that God delights in his creation. Genesis 1 is the story of a master craftsman who labours in love over his creation. Each day he steps back and he marvels at what he's done. He saw what he, what he had made and it was good. It was good. It was good. 
And after creating the crown jewel, the human beings that made in his image to rule over his creation, God marvels at the completed work and says it is very good. Lots of people today seem to think that God is against the world. They think of him as a bully who's trying to get us. Or a killjoy who just wants to make sure we have no fun. Do you see how different that is to the God that we see in Genesis 1? This is a God who delights in his creation. He loves what he has done. He's not indifferent to it. He didn't just create it and go, well, it can exist or not, I don't care. No, no, he pours himself into it. He loves it. He enjoys it. He grieves when it suffers. And he longs for its blessing. God loves this world. And this leads us to the sixth and the last thing that Genesis 1 teaches us about God that really matters. And this one is the one that matters the most. Because it's the one that gets to the heart of why God created everything. Of why in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Because the God who is eternal, who creates, who's ordered, who's extravagant, who delights in his creation. He did all of this. So that you might know him and enjoy him forever. Right from the start, we see an infinitely powerful and eternal God who is perfectly fulfilled in and of himself. God did not need to create this world. There's nothing in crea- that creation could give to him that he didn't already have. But he did create. He could have created a chaotic universe, a random universe, a boring universe, a tiny universe. But he didn't. Instead, he chose to create something that has his fingerprints all over it. He chose to express himself in this universe. And so he creates an orderly universe, a functional universe, a beautiful and vast universe. A universe that is awe-inspiring. A universe that baffles us. That amazes us. That confuses us. That inspires us. He chose to create something that was incredible to show us just a glimpse of how incredible he is. He chose to create something that was perfectly suited to life. Everything about our planet is tailor-made to support the vast array of life forms that call it home. And yet while this little blue planet is home to millions and millions of species, there is one species that it was made for. The truth of Genesis 1 is that God did all of this For you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth so that one day you would be born. 
And that you would grow. And that as you live in this wonderful world that he made, you would see the glory of your creator. That you would come to know what he is like. That you would come to worship him and to enjoy him forever. Which means your life is not an accident. Your life is not the result of some impossibly unlikely coincidence. And it means that as you go about your life, it might feel mundane and meaningless at times, but it is anything but. Genesis 1 shows us that your life matters, that it has purpose, that you are here for a reason. And that reason is that you might know God and enjoy Him forever. Friends, that's what you were made for. That's what everything was made for. And so the question is, are you enjoying your creator? As you go out this week and see the world that he made, as you see the people sitting next to you that God made, they're there to help you see how incredible he is and to worship him and to enjoy him forever. Let's pray. Now, Lord God, we marvel at your creation when we stop to think about it. Every day we live in it and it can seem just normal. But how incredible that you spoke everything that we see into existence. That you created this world that is so functional and so beautiful. It amazes us. It inspires us. And we see from Genesis 1 that it shows us just a glimpse of what you are like. Lord, we pray that we would not take this for granted. We pray that you would help us see just how amazing you are and help us see that you delight in having a relationship with us, that you want us to know you to relate to you, to talk to you, to hear your voice, to praise you, to worship you, to live for you forever and to enjoy you forever. Lord, would you help us to know these truths, help us to believe them and help us to marvel at our wonderful creator God this day and every day. Amen.